0: Here we go now with the tire extinguishers. This is a climate change activist group. And what these guys do is they go out at night and they prowl around your neighborhood. And if you drive an SUV, you're now a target. They let the air out of your tires. So you can't drive your SUV. I guess if you do try to drive with flat tires, you're going to do some serious damage to your vehicle. Their modus operandi here is after they deflate your tires, they leave a letter on your windshield. I'm looking at a copy of one of these letters right now, and it says, attention, your gas guzzler kills. You'll be angry, but don't take it personally. It's not you, it's your car. It then goes on to say, go and ride a bike or walk if you need to get around. The tire deflators, okay, they hit Victoria on the weekend. They say they... They uh, went after 34, I'm looking at their website now, we said we had a busy night last night, 34 SUVs disarmed in Victoria, British Columbia. They say they're going to be expanding to other cities. Let's talk to a couple of people, this is, uh, they got hit hit by this. Bob Kennedy, his daughter's SUV was targeted by this group on the weekend. Hey, Bob, thanks for coming on.
1: Good morning, Mike.
0: Thanks for doing this, Bob. Tell me what happened to your daughter's car here.
1: Well, on Friday morning, um, we were were texting. We generally stay in touch. And uh, she talked about uh, the way her tire had been deflated overnight. And uh, it it upset her quite a bit. And, of course, she had to get it reinflated. But what really concerned me is she's uh, going into her ninth ninth month of pregnancy now. And um, that would leave her without a vehicle in the middle of the night if she all of a sudden needed it. Oh. Uh, it really upset
0: me. Oh, my good. I don't blame you. Imagine if, oh, my God, she's got to get to the hospital. The baby's coming. Oh, and then she goes out and her tires are flat. That would okay, be. Exactly. Oh, man. Oh, man. Thank goodness that didn't happen. Was there any damage to her vehicle?
1: Uh, no damage at all. But, um, you know, I mean, it, it's, it could have always been possible. You get, a, you get a tire that's deflated and it's sitting down on the rim for any length of time, it'll sure. damage the tire, it could damage the rim. Uh, if, if it's partially deflated and continues to deflate uh, as she's maybe on the highway, and all of a sudden the tire goes flat, uh, it just—I uh, I can't understand why they would do things like that.
0: No, it's dangerous. What do you think about their argument here? Like, oh, this, this is a climate change emergency. That's why we're doing it. What do you think of
1: that? Well, well I fully agree uh, that you know we have to do something to address climate change and and to uh, a less than our impact on that but this is not going to achieve anything at all uh they're they're targeting people who really have no say other than in their choices of, of the kind of vehicle they have but people have reasons for having certain types of vehicles uh you know you know people might forget that suv it's a sports utility vehicle and in in my daughter's case it is a utility vehicle and and it suits her needs the best
0: Sure. I mean, I've talked to people who've got kids, they've got to get around town, or maybe they have to move move stuff around in an SUV, and that's the type of vehicle that they need. They don't really have a lot of choice. The The other thing that occurred to me was, I wonder if something like this could actually backfire against their own cause by doing this. I mean, if you deflate someone's tires, someone said to me, well, maybe you've got to call, who knows, you got to call a tow truck maybe. That's going to just pump some more carb, carbon into the atmosphere, or maybe you've got to buy a new tire.
1: Well, exactly. Uh, you know, if they want to support the oil industry, go buy more tires because yeah. uh, they use oil to make tires. Uh, and you're right about the tow trucks. Uh, usually, these are uh, fairly large diesel vehicles, uh, and and they certainly put out a lot more emissions than an SUV would.
0: Yeah, Bob. Thanks for sharing the story. I appreciate it.
1: I'm my pleasure.
0: Okay, as Bob Kennedy, his daughter's SUV was targeted by this tire extinguisher group. As you heard her say, she's going into her ninth month of pregnancy. Imagine if the baby was coming early, and she goes out and her tires are deflated. Let's check in with Robin O'Connell now. This happened to her too. Hi, Robin. Good morning, Mike. Hey, Robin. Thanks a lot for coming on. Can you tell me what happened to your vehicle?
2: Yeah, so um, similar to what uh, your other... um, guest just shared we woke up Friday morning and there was a note on our vehicle I actually wasn't in the province I was out of the province and my son sent me a message and said somebody has taken the air out of your tires or slashed them he didn't know but he was heading off to school to teach so he couldn't really investigate at the time so I of course being out of province had to call my other daughter my other child out here my daughter and she had to come over and start to investigate and sound. Um, what they do is they actually take the tire cap off and they put a little seed, kind of like a kernel of, of popcorn in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Then they put the, li- the lid back on so it slowly deflates. Oh. So obviously that had been done overnight and my daughter found that. But by the time we discovered it, it was absolutely flat. There was, you know, she has a manual... Um, compressor that we we've always had in our vehicles just for safety and she tried to use that but it was so flat that that wasn't even doing anything so you know we talked about environmental activists so for her to try to fix this she had to sit there with her car running for probably 45 minutes to an hour trying to fill the air so i'm not sure how this this helps their cause in any case um, it wouldn't work then we had to have somebody else, a wonderful community member that I don't even know, came to the rescue with his air compressor and came and filled it for us. Because where we we're parked is also on a pretty steep driveway. So it wasn't even safe if we did have to take the tire off. It wasn't a safe place for a young girl to be taking the tire off and oh. going to get it fixed. So it wow. was a, a lot of issues for us. And it was unfortunate timing, too. and. And that's that's then, re- that's um,
0: really yeah. What, did you uh, did you call the police?
2: We did. Yeah, I called and uh, put in a report, and they said that the police probably wouldn't even get back to us the next couple of days because they had so many reports of this, and that there was a file number already placed. And um, I did hear through social media that somebody in our community had actually. Um, been spotted by the police department at five thirty in the morning doing this and the individual said oh, oh it's a friend's car i'm just trying to help them put air in it or help them fix it and the police just left them and didn't realize till later on what was
0: actually going on oh oh they may have had they may have had a missed opportunity there mm-hmm. wow speaking of robin o'connell her, her suv had a t- how many tires were deflated on your vehicle just one just one one okay and then like, that is dangerous, though, right? Imagine if you'd started driving that, you hadn't noticed.
2: Yeah, well, it's scary, right? If the, if we hadn't, my daughter was actually planning to come pick me up at the airport that evening, in, you know, at 10.30 at night. And what if she had just gotten in it and started driving? She's just young. She's 20 years old. She would not have really known. She could have gotten to an accident. Who knows what could have happened? I'm thankful that my son had noticed the note on the car before he had left, but... You know, young adults don't always look at these things or yeah. notice these things. So it could right. have been much worse than it was.
0: Yeah, for sure. No, I think it's, it's dangerous. Not. I think it's dangerous. I think it has the potential to damage your vehicle. And I understand, Robin, like, did you tell me that uh, you've been getting some warning, warning lights on your dash there in your vehicle?
2: Yeah. So ever since, so she filled it up and she actually went to the tire place just to make sure there was no other damage to the tire. They said the tires were good. But then we were going out of town yesterday, and when we got halfway to our arrival, um, a warning light came on that said tire maintenance, and it keeps going on repeatedly. So we have to keep checking the air pressure. I think it's because they're all uneven now. I'm hoping that's what the problem is. But I will probably spend today um, getting that investigated at the dealership or the tire place because it's a warning light that comes on every 10 minutes.
0: Yeah, what do you think of their their tactics here? I mean, to me, it, this is just ridiculous. I I can't imagine anyone that they this would happen to them like yourself. Someone's victimized by this, and then they somehow think this is going to change someone's hearts or minds about about any kind of issue, rather than just inconveniencing and angering people. Like, do you think that this makes does this make any sense to you at all?
2: Absolutely none whatsoever. You know, especially yeah. the. Cars they're targeting, they're claiming that SUVs kill and that these are the worst vehicles on the roads. My car isn't even a year old. It's probably more fuel efficient than any in our community in any of our neighborhood because there's a lot of vehicles that are much older that are definitely gas guzzling. And also it's a company car. I have to use it for my job. I have to get places with it. I can't take the bus to transport my equipment. I don't have an option. There are people that have no other option. That is my my form of income yeah so didn't help them whatsoever their cause to me is lost right now and then when I investigated them too I saw that they're actually doing further things in other cities and other countries this is the worldwide
0: oh yeah no it is yeah it is yeah it's been going on in the UK it's been going on in the United States and they say that this is just the start of it here in Victoria Vancouver and British Columbia as well Robin thank you for coming on and sharing your story today thanks a lot all right, we're talking about this tire deflator group that hit, well, they claim they got 34 SUVs in Victoria on the weekend. This group goes out under the cover of darkness in the middle of the night, and they target SUVs deflate the tires in the name of climate change protest. They leave a letter on the windshield of the vehicles saying, it's not you, it's your car. I know you're going to be angry but there's a climate change emergency, so we're deflating the tires on your car. It's not just happening here, happening in the U.K. A lot of this was happening in the United Kingdom, seemed to start there. Spread to the U.S., New York, California, several other states have had this happen. Now this group says they're expanding their activities here in British Columbia. Spoke to a couple of the victims there. Robin O'Connell, she's still getting warning signals on her dashboard after her tire was deflated. Bob Kennedy, his daughter's SUV was targeted by this group. His daughter is uh, in her ninth month of pregnancy. He was really worried. What if the baby comes early? She goes out there and her tires are deflated by these clowns. Give me a break. 604-280-9898 is the number to call me. Star 9898 in your cell. Dennis in West Vancouver. Hi.
1: Mike, that makes absolutely no sense. I'm on number one my SUV. I'm very environment conscious but i look at all the semi-trailers so they would have no fire department then because the trucks are using fuel they would have no ambulance they can't go anywhere they can't travel with the airlines that makes absolutely no sense
0: yeah i think it potentially backfires on them as well when you just start angering people with with these type of tactics i don't know, you think the police will catch them kind of doubt they will well, it'll be
1: difficult, but I mean, it would be a, it would be called mischief, basically. They're damaging people's yeah. property. I mean, there's a there was a gray area there, but you know, those individuals, I'm sure they eat food. So, what do you think the food's going to get to the grocery stores. It makes absolutely no sense.
0: Yeah, the police. Thank you for the call. Police are investigating here. They have received a lot of complaints from people who have been targeted by this group. So Oak Bay Police Department here, also in consultation with the Victoria Police Department investigating. The potential penalty here, yeah, it could be a mischief charge under the criminal code, which can carry a fine of $5,000 or two years in jail. You know that people that get caught in this are not going to get that kind of penalty. Peter and Poco, hi. What do you think?
1: Yeah, hi. Um, I drive a large SUV. Mm-hmm. Um, actually it's under a storage policy for the last couple of years, but, uh, I had two tires slashed on the sidewalls uh, recently and, uh, nobody left a note or anything on my car. I'm in an underground parking lot. And, uh, I just find it interesting that this is, popped up on your show (laughs) like (laughs) i had no idea i did report this to the police but i'm looking at over a thousand bucks to have these two tires replaced plus the other two which weren't slashed i supposedly have to replace uh Mm -hmm. so that they're balanced properly
0: but like i don't know like (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Peter, thank you for that. I'm sorry that happened to you and your vehicle for sure. I mean, this is the kind of the bitter irony of something like this. If you deflate someone's tire or worse, you're now looking at a whole bunch of repairs that probably generates even more greenhouse gases when you think about the time and effort, new tires. I mean, I don't see how that helps the planet at all. Maybe it does the opposite. Thanks a lot for all your calls on that one today. All right. Welcome back to the show. Let's talk about your old car now. And a lot of people are making do and driving an older vehicle these days rather than trading up to a newer vehicle. I am personally in this precise predicament. My wife and I were driving an old, very old minivan that we bought when our kids were small. And it was an awesome vehicle when we were doing a lot of shuttling around with our our kids when they were little. But I'll tell you what, this van is very old, it's got some mechanical problems, it's got a ton of mileage on it, and we would like to get a new a new car, get a new vehicle, maybe, maybe a brand new one, that'd be nice, but more likely a, a good used vehicle. Two problems, we got inflation, we got record high inflation, so prices are up. There's also a shortage of vehicles. We, anyone who's been shopping around for a vehicle knows that vehicles are in tight supply, both new and older vehicles. So what happens Well, you put all that together? A lot of people, I think, are just sort of making do and getting by with their older vehicles. But here's the thing. Here's the question. Should you keep your old car or should you trade it in? and buy a new one. I'm going to speak to YouTube car mechanic Kyle Thorine here in a moment. But first, have a listen to this report on keeping older cars on the road. Have a listen. People love the cars from the good old days. They're great to look at, but younger old cars, maybe 10 or 15 years old, are the ones taking care of the business of life day after day. Now a new survey says more drivers are keeping more old cars on the road. The average age is 11.8 years. Here in the West, we keep cars the longest, 12.4 years. Jennifer Cronister says she spent about $500 to get this old Pontiac for a work car. She knows relatively modern cars hold up well enough to stay on the road a good long time.
2: My personal car is a newer car. But um, I bought it used still as well. But um, yeah, I think they last a lot longer.
0: Okay, that report from KGUN News. All right, let's discuss this now with my guest, Kyle Thoreen. Kyle uh, has a very popular YouTube channel where he is the Rust Belt Mechanic. He's got a lot of followers on there, and I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Hey, Kyle, thanks a lot for coming on today. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Doing great. I'm doing- I'm doing great too, Kyle. Thank you for doing this. I was just checking out your YouTube channel. And is this correct here? Am I looking at the right number here? It says you got over 9 million views of your videos here now?
3: Uh, That is pretty correct. Some of the videos have really taken off over the last couple of years and been pretty fortunate to get out there and get some of my good information across to be able to help uh, different customers and different people all across the automotive world.
0: Yeah, well, I think you're doing it. I'm not surprised it's, you're getting that kind of success because I've watched a bunch of your videos, too, and I recommend them to the <laughs> listeners. The Rust Belt Mechanic on YouTube. Okay, Kyle, one of your videos that I really liked was one that you put out with on this precise issue. Should you keep driving your old car or should you trade it in and get something new? Let's talk a little bit about some of the the process that you go through when you're advising people in this regard? Like, what would you say is sort of top of mind for most people when they're making that decision? Keep driving this old clunker or should I trade up?
3: So there's going to be a whole lot of different factors, but there's a a couple main few that I like to lead people into realizing when they are trying to get through this predicament. The biggest thing is going to be the overall cost of the vehicle, whether you're going to be uh, purchasing a vehicle outright or whether you're going to be financing it. Financing of vehicles, as we all know, with inflation, they're just skyrocketing inflation and the uh, interest rates on getting vehicle loans is harder and harder and getting higher and higher as we go. So between that and the cost of vehicles, if you're looking like I heard you thinking about getting a newer vehicle, did you realize this year in 2022 was the first recorded year from Edmunds.com that they actually recorded having higher sales prices of the transaction costs than the average vehicle MSRP? So, the average oh. vehicle MSRP for a new car right now is right around $45,000, where the average transaction price, because of dealer markups and inflation, the people are spending $46,000. You're spending more money than what the MSRP is. So, vehicle prices on top of that, you know, about a year ago, they were right around $40,000 for the average price, and they've gone up $6,000 just alone in the last year for new cars.
0: Oh, yeah, man, for sure. I mean, I see how high these prices are. The inflation is really driving up prices. And there's also a shortage, right? Like, are you seeing that in your business? Like, there's a shortage of not new just in the and good-used vehicles. Parts.
3: Yeah, not yeah. just the the cars but the parts as well they can't get any of the parts to finish manufacturing a lot of these newer cars that's just why you're seeing these new car uh kind of desert zones where you'll see piles and piles of them at different stadiums and stuff Kentucky Motor Speedway was one of the well-known ones for having uh upwards of 12,000 vehicles sitting in and around the grounds just of uncompleted vehicles because they can't get the computer chips uh due to that and capacitor and whatever they could can't get for the computers of these cars. So you can't even hardly find any new ones and if you can, they are you know just extremely skyrocketed
0: pricing. Yeah and I think that's why a lot of people are doing what I'm doing. I'm, we've just decided to sort of gut it out with this old vehicle we've got and just hope that it keeps going. and so far it's been a tank it just keeps going which is which is lucky for us but let's say uh, let's say Kyle, you, you're deciding, whether to trade in, trade in your vehicle on a new one. If you trade in your vehicle at a dealership, are you typically going to get like a less than you would get in a private sale? Like you don't get the same value in a trade in that you do in a private sale. Correct. Correct.
3: Honestly, it depends on the situation, and I know that's kind of a harsh answer to kind of put towards it, but generally, yes, a dealership, they have to make money, and there's more hands in the cookie jar in a dealership atmosphere that have to make money down the line as well. So they aren't going to give you, you know, extreme high dollar for your car when it comes to a comparison with a private party. However, if you're trading apples to apples in like for instance, at a Jeep or a Chrysler dealership, if you're trading in say one of their specialty things like a, a Wrangler, especially these days, those are kind of skyrocketed in price. Uh, they're going to give you more money than somebody else would because they can sell it for a much higher value there at the dealership dealership as well. So you might get a little bit more when it comes to those specialty circumstances where that vehicle is the same manufacturer of where you're trading it in.
0: Okay. And then there's also, you know, let's talk about the advantages of buying a buying a new vehicle. Let's say you're buying brand new, obviously very expensive. As you just mentioned, prices have gone up dramatically, but are you still getting an awesome warranty? Like what are the warranties like right now in a new vehicle?
3: On average, most vehicles have their new car bumper-to-bumper warranty, uh, covers everything except for wiper blades and just wearable items. That's a three-year, 36,000-mile warranty on average, and your average powertrain warranty is usually right around five years and 60,000 miles. Now, if you're looking at a car, which is the average cost of even a, a new car these days, at $46,000, if you were putting that out in payments and somebody with a really good credit score, you're probably looking at upwards of a $700 a month car payment. That's going to extrapolate to $2,000 more a year than you would really spend in vehicle repairs on just say a five, seven-year-old vehicle. On a five to seven year old vehicle, the average price that somebody is using uh, to upkeep and maintain those vehicles and repairs is about eighteen to $1,900 in a year. So you really have to outweigh uh, kind of where you're wanting to put that money to how comfortable you are with this car payment on having that nice new shiny car in your garage.
0: All right, welcome back. My guest is Kyle Thorine. He is the Rust Belt mechanic on YouTube. Let's go to your phone calls here. Vicky calling from Salt Spring Island. Hi, Vicki. How you doing, Mike? I'm good. I'm good. Go ahead. Good stuff. Hi. Hi, Kyle. Hey, I drive a
2: 1998 Ford F-150. I've had right. it since brand new. Okay. And, um, I've always That's had problems good. now getting, getting parts for it um, and uh, over at Canadian Tire uh where i i've had it serviced now for the last couple of years um and i tried to get step sides for it and uh i they had a heck of a time trying to get step sides for this kind, this make it's a single single cab uh it's a standard
0: Okay, so yeah looking- parts
3: is gonna parts is gonna be a hard thing to get a hold of, especially the older the vehicle that you have in general, it's just gonna be harder and harder to find them because less people have them, less demand gonna be less production of parts now, thankfully, with today's internet it does give you a whole lot more opportunities and a lot of these retailers that you're going to for the repairs on your vehicles aren't going to be always be as motivated to find parts. So my recommendation in that atmosphere would be to try to find your own parts rather than relying on the people doing the repairs or looking for them, Uh, looking at places, especially uh, like Rock Auto, which sources parts from hundreds of different Retailers all across the world uh, being able to get certain uh, different parts in that area is usually a better place for you to be able to find some of your own.
0: Okay, Vicky, good luck with that. Thanks for calling in. Let's go to Bill on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Bill. Go ahead.
1: Good morning, gentlemen. um I have a, a CLK a Mercedes CLK a 2002 with 105,000 kilometers. Been in COVID storage for about three years. So I want to basically, it's only had basic oil changes over the years. Um, What should I, I'm bringing it out shortly. What should I get done as far as servicing goes uh, with that car?
0: Kyle. So Kyle, for a car that's been in storage for a few years, sort of basically trying to get it back on the road, what do you think would be the top of the list? I don't know. Do we, Kyle, can you, are you muted? Did we lose Kyle Kyle wow, okay, I guess well i I guess we lost him okay we're gonna we'll try and get him back on Are you here still there? oh hank Kyle can you can Are you there? hear me now? yeah, go ahead,
3: yes sorry about
0: that focus on your fluids
3: your your fuel and your oil especially those do deteriorate over time Uh, make sure you're looking in at those first because that's where the biggest problems are gonna uh, lie in the main components of your engine you want to keep those things clean and clear go for those probably some coolant get that one flushed out start with the fluids
0: Start with the fluids. I had a a buddy of mine tell me that the sort of the big three for basic maintenance are are, uh, brakes, tires, and regular oil changes. Would you agree, Kyle?
3: I would definitely agree with that one. Uh, Just the basic maintenance in your battery as well. Uh, I know up in the colder climate areas, it's a big thing.
0: Okay, keep taking calls here. Glenn in Maple Ridge. Hi, Glenn. Go ahead.
1: Hey, Mike, Kyle. Uh, hey, just want to say my the best vehicle, I've owned many vehicles over the years, and uh, uh, one or two brand-new ones, but uh, mostly used, and uh, I keep for a long time. Best vehicle ever, Suzuki Grand Vitara. That thing ran and ran and ran and ran. It was a four-speed, uh, uh, the standard four-speed, or five-speed, sorry. And uh, that thing just hummed along with so little maintenance. Replace the brakes. place the wiper blades. A few headlights. That thing was bulletproof. It just ran. Out. I got over 500k on that thing.
0: Wow, wow. gee whiz,
1: pretty this...
3: impressive. Yeah, I see... not everybody's going to be that lucky. They're they're going to have to go through their average maintenance on each and every year. And some of the people don't they don't really understand what it's going to be going through. Uh, once you get aside from those basic maintenance, you are just trying to get away from those big ugly bills the engines the transmissions uh the big repairs and doing your average daily maintenance or your monthly maintenance keeping up on those things is the best thing that anyone can do
0: would you find that we just got a minute left here sadly kyle would you say like he mentioned suzuki i was kind of surprised when he when he mentioned that particular brand but um what do you in your experiences do they do a decent product that lasts long like what what would you say is sort of the best most lo- longest lasting uh, auto brand your experience and
3: in my experience any manufacturer can be one that lasts a long time for those people that don't do their regular maintenance it doesn't matter if you have one of those bulletproof vehicles where everybody swears by them if you're not you're on the vehicle it's gonna fail on you the suzuki's uh some of them the grand vatars were known for being pretty decent uh the jeeps those always are holding their value in the used market and have generally been pretty reliable, especially through, through the early 2000s. Uh, Chevrolet trucks; those are yeah. have the most readily available parts in pretty much anywhere in the on this uh, North American continent. So, finding parts is pretty nice and easy too, uh, keeping the cost down for most used car buyers.
0: Kyle, thanks for coming on today. Congratulations with your success on YouTube.
3: Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder.
0: All right, as we continue our BC Day show, we are officially now in the month of August, and that means that the PNE getting closer every day of just checking out the lineup of some of the shows at this year's PNE. Awesome lineup of great stars coming to the Summer Nights concert series. And one of the things that I'm excited about is the return of the classic. The wooden roller coaster, the 64-year-old attraction at the PNE, my favorite ride at the PNE. It is absolutely one of the classic roller coasters in North America, and it is back in action after a $1 million restoration. Let's talk about that now with my guest, Laura Balance, spokesperson for the PNE. I'm pleased to welcome her back. Hi, Laura. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great. Let's talk. Let's talk about the roller coaster. I love the roller coaster. You've been on there, right? About five to six hundred times. I estimate. <laughs> wow, that's a lot. Yeah, I, think you I love me. it too.
4: Okay, I think you got
0: me beat there. That's uh, that's great. yeah, it's
4: pretty special. It's one of the perks of the job having a, an amusement <laughs> park in your in the back of your office is is uh, a nice way to start your day and certainly um, uh, you know we're we're all here at Playland and the p e. But I think really across British Columbia, proud of the wooden roller coaster and and what it represents to the history of rides in in the world. And, you know, you started off by saying one of the best in North America. I'd argue it's one of the best in the world because it really is special in so many ways.
0: Yeah, it really is.
4: Yeah. And so our restoration um, uh, happened over the past 18 months. Uh, We reopened it this week. We had a bit of a glitch today, so the coaster isn't operating today, but hopefully back uh, tomorrow or or Wednesday, we're hoping that it'll be reopened. We had some chain problems with that first up, um, the first hill going up um, that everybody knows, that iconic um, first hill before the big drop. um, is the only part of the ride driven by machinery in the sense that it is pulled up that first hill by a um that large chain and then it's entirely driven by whip and momentum and the laws of physics past that
0: yeah it's just gravity after that after you get to the top of that first hill everyone knows that sort of clicky clacking sound there as you head up that first hill okay so that's interesting so a problem with the chain huh but that's nothing serious though
4: No, it's just, you know, I think it's always about uh, tweaking the ride, especially a heritage ride like that. It's one of the most highly um, inspected and maintained rides uh, anywhere in the country and probably uh, in, in North America. So we had some chain problems that happens and it'll be back rolling again this week. I'm just not too sure when. The thing about Plainland that I think is, really good and allows me to feel really really good uh to be part of the team that works there is things run when they're ready um nothing's rushed and so we will we'll make sure that that ride meets our standard of inspection and then we'll then we'll get it back in circulation disappointing obviously because we were pretty excited to open it this week but the um our our issue has nothing to do with the restoration work that was done
0: Okay, that's interesting. Well, let's talk a little bit about that restoration. A million dollars, that's that's a big restoration here for this ride.
4: It sure is. Uh, you know, if you keep in mind the original cost in 57 and 58 was described as an astronomical amount of money back in the day. It was a $200,000 original construction <laughs> budget. We've done a number of smaller restorations over the we- years, and, you know, I think everybody in British Columbia probably knows it's a wooden structure and that's great because it allows us to continually replace wood each and every year. And throughout the year, we're constantly doing it, it gets visually inspected every single day and wood gets replaced. But sometimes we do larger projects. So, you know, in my time there over the, the last 20 years, we've done probably four or five um, where we've done entire sections, but this was by far and away the largest restoration we've ever done. It was, uh, in the range of a million dollars of investment. We had, um, the world leader in, in design and manufacture and restoration of wooden roller coasters, which is a company out of Montreal called M R M B R, MBR. And they, um, they work all over the world. They are the best of the best. And we had engineers here from around the world working on this. And we replaced uh, over 12,000 feet of lumber um, with new Douglas fir on the north end of the ride. So it was pretty exciting to watch. It was disappointing to have it out of commission for the last year and a half. Um, but it's ready to go. And it's on the eve of its 65th birthday. And, and this restoration allows us to be very confident that it can um you know, be around for a lot longer.
0: Oh, that sounds awesome. I love it. And I love the history of this particular roller coaster because it was designed by a very famous roller coaster designer, Carl Fair, right? That's right.
4: Carl Fair. And and then the builder on the ride was a fellow by the name of Walker Leroy. And Walker's passed now. Carl passed many years ago. but Walker passed, oh, I guess, probably 15 years ago. I knew him. He was a lovely man. He told me many times that, the Playland Wooden Roller Coaster, was the, the biggest and most celebrated achievement of that team's um, career. And to give you perspective, Walker Leroy and Carl Fair were to the amusement industry what you could compare a George Lucas and a Steven Spielberg to the entertainment. They were the best. Mm-hmm. And they worked around North America. But what happened, Mike, is they built wooden coasters. Well, in the you know in the 1970s rolled around in the 80s, and amusement parks around the world became about faster, higher uh, steel coasters. And right. so they started tearing down these beautiful heritage coasters in to make way for these um, the you know the new dawning of the steel coaster. And at the time, Playland simply didn't have the money to to invest in a multi-million dollar uh, steel coaster, and so by um by the time the park could have done that and later did in the corkscrew coaster um it, by then we already realized we had such a jewel, and this ride has been featured in movies we've had people get married on it we've had celebrities <laughs> come people come from all over the world each and every year to ride the wooden coaster. And so it's just such a special part. And, I, you know, I joke and I say, you're not a true British Columbian until you've ridden the r- ride at least once. But that atmosphere of that ride, that clack, clack, clack as you go up the Friars Hill and those, you know, that feeling of the, you know, very famous. It's They're called bugaboos, which is those um, short little um, drops, hills and drops in the middle of the ride you know those things were just beautifully designed and like i say and as you mentioned it's the laws of physics after that first hill that drives that train around and that's a very very special um feature of the ride
0: i love it i can't wait for my next ride hey uh laura real quickly here we got a couple minutes left here just taking a look at the lineup for this year's summer nights concert series and Wow, I mean, this looks really awesome. The B 52s, wow. Yeah. Holy yeah. flashback. That's awesome. And you've got the Beach Boys. Uh, who else? We, Chicago, the Steve Miller Band. Wow, these are some uh, some of my favorites there for sure.
4: Yeah, we've worked really hard to, to come back. Uh, you know, I'll say, Mike, I've been on your show over the last couple of years during COVID. Um, we it hasn't been easy, and we've really fought hard to get to the other side of this, and we really wanted this year's fair to be a celebration, so we threw everything we had on getting these artists, and a lot of them have played here before and love playing in our outdoor venue, and I I say, um, you know, on, on a sunny Vancouver night, uh, looking out at the North Shore Mountains, there's very few prettier locations, I think, anywhere on this coast of North America but, yeah, we've got everybody from Shaka Khan and Patti LaBelle to Bachman uh, Cummings. Um, I'm, I'm excited, I will say, for the Stars of Drag Show. I think that's going to be amazing. <laughs> that's RuPaul's show. So we got a lot of um, uh, really neat things and, and some things that are different. Like I say, like the drag show. We also have partnered with the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra, and we're going to do a night of tribute to the Beatles. I think that'll be wow. lovely. So yeah, That's we're hoping cool. and, and as, as you mentioned, the B fifty twos, it's their farewell tour and so we're we're excited to kick off this year's fair with with that show. So it's gonna be great and we really um you know, over the past three years uh we felt the love of British Columbia and we we felt we've had literally thousands of emails, phone calls, um people reaching out from all over the world that are um, British Columbians. And, uh, it, you know, it's been very heartfelt. It would be quite emotional, I think, for all of us to kick off this year's fair. But we've we've really tried hard to put together something for the entire family.
0: I love the lineup. Thank you, Laura, for coming on today to talk about the p Appreciate it.
4: Thank you, Mike, for you
0: guys and all your
4: support of the p over the years.